All right, let's pray, and then we're going to open up our Bibles together. Father, we, uh, well, we come to you uh, not because we want to check a box, not because we want to say, uh, I did church today, uh, not because it's a habit, although for many of us it is, uh, and not merely because um, somebody's expecting us to, but Lord, we want to come before you now and hear from you. Um, Lord, even though it's my voice that'll be speaking, it's your voice we really need to hear. And uh, so we come now with gratitude and with, with a holy sense of, of anticipation of what you will say. And so give us ears to hear and uh, the ability to respond to what you have for us, what you desire for us. Father, help us hear your heart today. Uh, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to be in the book of Romans, uh, chapter 8, this morning. So we continue to look at what the Bible says about our ultimate future, because knowing where you're going makes a difference. If you know you're going someplace you really don't want to go, how does that affect you? Like if, if you know you have, I don't know, an appointment for surgery or something, you don't really want to go. How does that affect you? Well, it, you're probably tense. You're probably nervous. You may well feel irritable. If, on the other hand, you know you're going someplace wonderful, well, that makes a difference too in the, in the other direction. Uh, you're going to feel hopeful. You're going to feel confident. You're going to feel excited. You're going to be looking forward to that. And most likely, most likely, you'll not get as upset about short-term problems because, you know, they're temporary. They're not going to last, and soon things will get better. Okay, so for those who have a faith relationship with Jesus Christ, that the ultimate place where we are going is so good that it ought to make a huge difference in how we think, how we feel, and how we act right now. So that's basically the whole premise of this study, of this uh, looking at what what the Lord's Word says about our ultimate future. So here's a summary statement. We've looked at this a couple times, but this is the summary statement of what the Bible teaches about this. So for those who trust Christ, that's a very important qualification. For those who have a personal faith in the Lord Jesus, our ultimate destination is a resurrected life in a resurrected body with the resurrected Christ on a resurrected earth. 
contrary to a belief that's been popular for quite some time, our ultimate destiny is not a purely spiritual existence in a purely spiritual heaven. When the authors of Scripture, under the inspiration of God's Spirit, when they wrote about the future of those who trust in Christ, they spoke, they speak about a physical future in which our bodies will be transformed and made glorious. And the kind of thing that happened a few minutes ago will not happen anymore to anybody's body who believes in Christ. Now today, we're going to see how this hope in a resurrected body goes hand in hand with hope, expectation, anticipation in a resurrected earth. This is really good news, because what's wrong with this earth is not simply uh, that our bodies wear out and die. Uh, The earth itself is broken, and there is disease, there is famine, there are natural disasters, catastrophes, There is savage bloodshed and suffering all throughout the natural world. In fact, I'm not sure if you know this, but uh, Charles Darwin, the one who popularized the idea that uh, all life came into existence entirely naturally, no creator involved, He popularized that idea because of beliefs he had about the suffering he saw in the world. The suffering that he saw in the world, he did not believe could possibly be reconciled with the reality of a creator who is good. And this argument is used all the time today. All the time. Atheists will point out things in this world that seem utterly senseless and cruel, and they will use that as evidence that God cannot possibly exist. So, for example, they'll point to a certain kind of wasp, and this wasp lays its eggs on the bodies of living caterpillars, and then those eggs hatch, and the wasp larvae eat the caterpillar while it's still alive. And they will point to something like that and go, see, see, there's no way. There is no way a good God would have created that. They're overlooking something. They're overlooking something huge. The Bible is very clear that this world is not now as God created it. Yes, creation is amazing, and you can look at it and you can see all kinds of evidence of God's goodness, but creation is also seriously messed up. And it's messed up for the same reason that our bodies are messed up. Don't take that personally, but (laughs) that didn't just come into my mind when I looked at you, okay? Creation's messed up for the same reason our bodies are messed up because of sin and God's judgment on our sin. The curse. 
I just want to say, parents, be sure as you teach your children and as you seek to point out the things about creation that demonstrate God's beauty, be sure also to show them that creation reveals the ugliness of our sin and the seriousness of God's judgment. Because we need deliverance from that judgment. And here's the good news. This earth is destined for the same cure that our bodies are destined for if we know Christ. That is, a future transformation that will make all things new. So let's look at Romans 8, verses 18-25, through and we'll see it. Romans 8, beginning in verse 18, and the Apostle Paul writes, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us or to us. And just notice, he doesn't say, I consider that our present sufferings aren't real. They're not hard. They're not painful. That is not what he says. Suffering is real. But it doesn't compare with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its, look at these words, its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, And he doesn't mean, I hope it happens. He means expectation, confident expectation. We were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. So it says that those who belong to Jesus are waiting for something. What are we waiting for? Well, we're not alone in waiting. Verse 19 says, creation itself is waiting. What's creation waiting for? The very same thing we're waiting for. Verse 19, it's called the children of God being revealed. The children of God being revealed, unveiled. Verse 21, it's called the freedom and glory of the children of God. Verse 23, it's called our adoption to sonship, that is, the redemption of our bodies. In other words, we're all waiting for resurrection. When Jesus, as it says in Philippians chapter 1, or chapter 3, no, it's 1. No, it's 3. Look it up, Philippians. When Jesus... It says right on there, 3, 21. I'm sure that's true. Okay, look what it says. 
Jesus will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Okay, and now here's the point. Here's the point in Romans 8. When Jesus transforms us, he will also transform the world. Our future and the earth's future are linked together. And that makes sense. Because God created us to live on this earth, to rule over this earth as his image on this earth. In fact, he made us out of this earth. So, Genesis 2-7, Then the Lord God, Yahweh God, formed the man, Hebrew, Adam, Adam, formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And then, when humanity rebelled, God put a curse on the earth as a judgment for our sin. Okay, linked together. Genesis 3.17. Cursed is the ground. This is the Lord speaking. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. You shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you are dust and to dust you shall return. So it just makes sense. Our destiny and the destiny of this planet, the earth, are linked together. Jesus won't just set us free from the curse. He will set creation free. When our bodies are redeemed, our world will be redeemed also. It says creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. And by the way, just think about it. These words about the future of this earth would be completely unnecessary if our ultimate destination is actually heaven. Okay? Because if we're destined for a purely spiritual existence in a purely spiritual realm, who cares what happens to creation? We're not going to be here anyway. But we are. We are. Now here's the thing I want to emphasize from all of this. All of the things we're looking at here. Because our future and the earth's future are linked. When the Bible says we're looking forward to a new earth, it means a resurrected earth. That is, it means this earth made new not a totally different planet, okay? And you might think, you might hear that, so who cares? Who cares? What difference does it make whether it's this earth made new and not a completely different earth? Doesn't really matter, does it? Yes, it does. I believe it really does matter, and I'm going to give you some reasons why here, uh, because these reasons why it matters that it's this earth made new and not a completely different thing, 
I think these reasons will help us be even more impressed with God's greatness and will help us be even more eager for this day to come about. But before we look at those reasons, let me consider a potential problem first because there are some other verses in the Bible that would maybe seem to contradict what I just said, that the new earth will be this earth made new. Take a look at 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 through 13. He says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Day of the Lord, that's the future day of judgment. And it's going to come like a thief, unexpected. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Okay, so Peter says, yeah, we're looking forward to a new heaven, new earth. And he says the old heaven and earth are going to be destroyed, going to be burned, going to disappear. Well, wouldn't that mean then that the new earth will not be this earth made new, but an entirely different earth. Nope. Nope. Let me show you. And we're going to look at several little pieces of evidence here. First, take the word new. The word new does not have to mean a totally different thing. And if you're a believer in Jesus, you are evidence of this. Look at 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone has come into a faith relationship with Jesus, become joined to Christ by faith, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And yet here you are. So, becoming a believer in Jesus brings about radical changes. I don't want to in any way not, I don't want to take anything away from that. There are new and radical things that are different when you become a believer in Jesus. It says so right here. What's new? Well, we have a new identity. A new identity is God's children. We have a new relationship with God that we never had before. We have a new destiny. And we're talking about it. And so on. But we don't become completely different people. You know, we have the same DNA. We have the same fingerprints. The essence of our personhood is the same. And yet, we're a new creation. Then let's consider the word destroy. That word does not have to mean, in fact, usually doesn't mean to annihilate and put completely out of existence. And we all know this from experience because we live in the neighborhood of Mount St. Helens. And when Mount St. Helens erupted in 1980, the news articles, people kept using the word destroyed to refer to what happened to the surrounding landscape. It was destroyed. Look it up. Google 
news articles from 1980, Mount St. Helens, again and again. Okay, but here's a picture from the area years after the eruption. Something's still there. The, the ground is still there. Flowers that weren't there are there. There's elk running around happily also, from what I hear. So you see, destroyed does not have to mean put entirely out of existence. Doesn't mean annihilated. Doesn't have to mean that. Okay, okay, but could that be what it means in Second Peter 3? Now we need to check the context. Turns out there's an example of a previous destruction of the earth. Verses 5 through 7. By God's word, the heavens came into being, and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also, the world of that time was deluged, flooded, and destroyed. And by the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. So he's talking about Noah's flood. Noah's flood destroyed the world. And it's interesting. Look, he says he's talking about the, uh, the world of that time and comparing it to the present heavens and earth. So there's the old that was destroyed. Then there's the present heavens and earth. And then he later is going to say the present heavens and earth are going to be destroyed and a new heavens and new earth. But none of that means that it goes out of existence. The purpose of the flood was to demonstrate God's absolute justice, to remove evil, to renew the world, and that's the same purpose the future judgment of fire will have. Another thing, our passage describes creation longing for something. So it's, it's personifying creation as if creation has a heart and a desire. What's, and it's longing for something. What's it longing for? Well, it's longing for renewal, not for rejection. It says that creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed in hope that it will be liberated from its bondage to decay. Creation longs for liberation. Creation longs for restoration. It does not long for annihilation. And then other passages also describe this world's future in terms of restoration and renewal. So Acts 3.21, and by the way, the person speaking here is the same Apostle Peter who wrote 2 Peter 3. And he says here that Jesus must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. Matthew 19, 28, Jesus says to his 12 apostles, Truly I tell you that at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So words like restore, renew, redeem, resurrect, these are words that speak of rescuing something for its original purpose, not discarding it and starting over. So if you have a lovely antique in your home, maybe you inherited, 
and yet it's got a few defects, and you take it in to be restored, what do you want them to do? Throw it in the dumpster and build you a new one? No. That's not restoration. When the artists who were commissioned to restore Michelangelo's paintings, his frescoes on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, what'd they do? I'll tell you what they didn't do. They didn't bring a pressure washer in there and pressure wash off all that old paint. No. No, they very carefully, very meticulously restored those paintings back to what the master originally intended. And that's what God is going to do. That is what he's going to do with our bodies That is what he is going to do with our world. He's going to make them new. Not by starting over from scratch, but by restoring them to what he always intended. They will be far greater. They will be far better. Far more glorious. Definitely different from what they are now. But yet also definitely connected. Now, you still may be sitting there saying, so what? I had a preaching professor. That's, that's what he would do. He would stand in the back of the room, and if he didn't like your sermon, he'd say, so, so what? <laughs> Don't any of you do that. <laughs> but it's a great question. What difference does it make? Why does it matter if God renews this earth instead of trashing it, throwing it in the cosmic dumpster, and starting over with a completely different earth? Okay, let me show you a couple reasons why it matters. Because why it matters should be a tremendous encouragement to us that God is going to do it this way. The first reason it matters is because God's plan is at stake. God's plan of salvation in which you participate as a believer in Jesus, if you are, is not plan B. As if God started with plan A and we messed it up with our sin and God the Father went, well, I guess I have to send Jesus to die for their sins now. Just try to make the best of it. Make the best of a bad situation. No. No, look at Ephesians 1, verse 4. For he, that is God the Father, chose us, he's talking about believers in Jesus, in him, in Jesus, before before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will. Now, I know this raises questions, but set them aside. The thing to see right now is that God's plan to make us his children through faith in Christ, which includes Jesus coming and dying for our sin. Let's read the rest of the chapter. That plan was in place before the creation of the world. And look again what Romans 8.20 says about this earth. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope, in expectation that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay. 
When God cursed this world, his plan was to liberate it from its bondage to decay. That was part of the plan. So think about this. Even though it is true, Satan incited humanity to spoil God's creation, Satan will not prevail. God is going to display his glory through his creation in a far greater way than Satan could ever have foreseen. By redeeming it, by restoring it through the death and resurrection of his son. Think about it. How good of an artist do you have to be you create a masterpiece and then somebody comes along and just defiles it with paint remover and graffiti and tears the canvas or whatever, how good of an artist do you have to be in order to restore that and make it even more beautiful than it was to begin with? See, that's what God has had in mind all along. This is plan A. There is no plan B. So that's why God's going to renew this earth. His plan. The other thing that's at stake is Christ's honor. Christ's honor. Okay, so Verse 23 says, we are waiting for the redemption of our bodies. Their transformation after a lifetime of groaning. Well, what makes our redemption possible? What's the basis of our redemption? Ephesians 1.7 In Him, Jesus, we have redemption through His blood, through His blood, through His sacrificial death on our behalf, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. See, I told you the plan is there. The plan included this. So in other words, it is the death of Jesus for our sins that is the basis of our redemption. Okay? You tracking? Just not a little bit. Okay, good. Good. His death is the basis of our redemption. So when God resurrects our bodies and transforms them to be like Jesus' glorious body, he'll do it. He'll do it because Jesus died to make it happen. Jesus died to make it happen, and God is going to honor the sacrifice of His Son. Okay, well, Romans 8, that we've been looking at, links the redemption of our bodies with the redemption, with the liberation of this earth. What happens to our bodies and what happens to creation go together. So creation will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. Why? Because Jesus died to make it happen. And God will honor the sacrifice of his son. It will not at anything, it's not possible that God could let what his son died to accomplish not happen. Now, do you see why this is so encouraging? Think about it. Why should this give us such confidence? All right? You've been 
hearing about this amazing future, if you're a believer in Jesus, this the amazing future that awaits you, what does that future coming to actually happen come true? What does that ultimately depend on? What does it depend on? Not you. Not you. Not your planning. Not your performance. Aren't you glad? Because if it did, if it depended on your planning and on your performance, there's no way you could be confident. No way at all. But your future and my future depend on the rock-solid realities of God's eternal plan and Christ's death and resurrection. You can't get more solid than that. You can't get more dependable than that. So if you belong to Jesus, you will rise. If you belong to Jesus, you will glorify Jesus in your transformed body on this transformed earth. It will happen because God planned for it to happen and Jesus died to make it happen. So be confident. The only question, the only question, it's not whether this will happen. The only question is whether or not you belong to Jesus and this promised future applies to you. It can. It can. If God so moves in your heart to bring you to the place to realize that you need His forgiveness and the only one who can give it to you is the one who died on a cross and rose from the dead to give it to you. There is no other plan. There is no other way. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And he invites you to come. Come, drink of the water of life, he says. Come, eat the bread of life. I will satisfy you. I will give this eternal future to you if you want it. If you'd like to talk more about that, I would love to talk to you more about it. You could ask him for it today if you want to. We're going to pray in just a minute. Or you could just pray, Lord, I, I, I want to understand. Help me understand. So we're going to pray. Let's do that right now. I'll give you a quiet moment. Maybe life's been rough lately and you haven't been thinking much about this future and the Lord would have you today just grab onto that like a drowning person. Grab onto this truth and let it sustain you. Let it lift you. And if you don't know Him, Call out to Him. Just take a moment. He knows your thoughts. He knows your heart. Father, thank You for this truth. There are times we look out at the beauty of this earth and we just think, 
Ah, oh, it's, it's so glorious. And yet, there's cancer, there's diabetes, there's animals eating each other, there's savagery, there's just so much that's wrong. We can't fix it, but you will. And you will make it more glorious than ever. Help us to trust you, Lord. Trust your timing. Trust that you do rule, that you are coming, and you will make all things new. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.